This is Reaching the Finish Line. And I'm your host, Callan Dix. Check out the website, www.reachingthefinishline.com. And pick up my free report. Save up to 75% what they don't want you to know. ReachingTheFinishLine.com And welcome. Today I am delighted to have John Fisher. John is the author of Strategic Entrepreneurship. His books require reading in UC Berkeley as well as the University of San Francisco. John, welcome. Thank you for having me this morning. So John, for people you know who don't know who you are, give people kind of a brief summary on how you got started on your journey and how you found success as an entrepreneur. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, most people don't know uh, who we are. Uh, we uh, we keep it that way because we uh, white label a lot of our enterprise products. We've been in the business of running software companies for uh, 20 years now, and uh, we build uh, good solutions to problems. And then our uh, strategy is uh, our companies are acquired by world-class companies, uh, such was the case with uh, Oracle's acquisition of our last company, uh, Barossa, in 2007. And that um, company is still a standalone product for Oracle uh, now nine years uh, later and uh, presumably has reached uh, hundreds of millions of people uh, because of that. And the team and I, uh, my head of engineering, my uh, uh, lead engineers and my CFO, have been together uh, over and over in these ventures all this time. So the team cohesiveness and the reach of what we're doing through strategy really is um, uh, how we how we define ourselves. And uh, again, not a lot of people know that. Like the subtitle, it talks about shattering startup entrepreneurial myths. I think that's very important because a lot of people, they have misguidance on, uh, on what they expect of being an entrepreneur. And uh, uh, look, uh, you know, I have the book here, very comprehensive book of uh, something I would definitely recommend people to check out. Uh, you kind of open up talking about the real life of an entrepreneur. John, what is the real life of an entrepreneur? A real life is um, uh, certainly difficult, but certainly great. Uh, I would recommend it to uh, to everyone, uh, provided though they have um, you know a definitive strategy. Because if you're swinging for the fences and uh, you know, sports or Hollywood or you software, any competitive industry, uh, you know, you're most likely to strike out. I mean, that's why it's competitive. I, I've got um, a lieutenant on my team who used to play for the uh, New Orleans Saints, San Francisco 49ers, a pro football player. Uh, but this gentleman also got uh, a degree from Stanford Law and is also one of the few football players in history to get a medical degree, uh, you know, so he was really uh, hedging his bets, and and has gone on to do, you know, all kinds of exciting things. And I think that's the the, the thesis of what we're describing is, you know, hedging your uh, your uh, great uh, ideas and your great ventures, and putting in practice, you know, uh, practical applications so that your company doesn't explode. It goes on to do uh, great things, defined uh, not just by your aspirations and not by your dreams, but also by statistics right. and those who have come and, before and, you. You know, as as we continue to um, you know be in this ever growing era of entrepreneurship and technology, uh, you talk about your book, the old rules and then the new rules. Let's start off with what are the old rules for the entrepreneur? Well, I think there have been world class entrepreneurs uh, coining one. You know, 
attempt to be uh, insanely great. I think there's the notion that we, um, you know, uh, 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 have a eureka moment in the uh, in the lab, uh, whether that's in school or uh, later, and then we're followed, uh, you know, with a life of of relative pain, trying to build these, you know, world class companies. And you know, it it certainly happens, and it's certainly great to see it happening. But it is so rare. Uh, just like again, success in professional sports or success in Hollywood, it's so rare that the uh, uh, you know the old rules don't do a good job. I think whether it's in uh, uh, um, you know college or or post education, I work a lot with uh, you know the business schools around here. Uh, they don't do I think a good job really explaining uh, statistically how these things uh, go. Uh, so to the new rules, uh, you know the average successful. Uh, venture-backed company is sold, and this is good quarter after quarter, year after year on the averages, economic cycles included, uh, you know, sold for about 30 million or even less. So every time you read about a company raising, you know, 50 million, 100 million, hundreds of millions of dollars, they are already, uh, you know, financed to the tune of a, uh, a project that defies even the, uh, you know, the most uh, successful outcomes on the odds. And yes, when you win like that, it's uh, it's fantastic. But so often, and this is 90 out of 100 times, you lose. And so I think the new rules should take into account uh, how to finance your company, to take uh, uh, you know these statistics in mind, to figure out uh, also an understanding of some economic cycles so you're not building in in the wrong directions. And most importantly, whether it be your team or patent strategy, you know, a, a strategy for an outcome and not just uh, building because uh, you're, you're trying to change the world. Uh, you talked about college uh, earlier and as far as kind of hot part of the old rules. I, I'm very curious on what your take is of kind of entrepreneurship majors in college. You know, I kind of have my own opinions, but I'd be curious to hear about yours. You know, I never uh, disparage anyone uh, trying to learn and, and get more information. I, I think one issue I have with a, um, you know, an emphasis on something like this is so much of course is learned uh, from mentors or uh, on the street or just by experience. So, you know, I wouldn't mind uh, recommending that if you really are interested in entrepreneurship or uh, becoming an inventor. Which, by the way, I define myself uh, as uh, more than, than an entrepreneur. I, 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 entrepreneurship to me is the operationalizing of, um, of invention, right? You come up with a great idea and then you put a company or processes around it. But it's the ideas that really drive me and um, you know, has, has, has caused me to go into you know, venture after venture. The passion not only for solving problems but doing something um, you know, completely new. Uh, we've actually put four new products, new companies in brand new markets that we've uh, you know, pioneered over, over all these years. So that's, that's really a, a passion of ours. But regarding the degree, I would recommend um, you, you, you know, folks think about getting a completely unrelated degree. I mean, why not you know, get more information about uh, economics or uh, you know, other uh, uh, mathematics or engineering, of course, and then uh, you know, rather than a direct degree in something like Entrepreneurship that I think you can pick up from day one as you are um, I'm so as you're glad on the you street said with that because I definitely agree. I tell people the best experience that a person can get as an entrepreneur is actually being being on the ground doing it. You know, creating your own business, of networking with people. I take a very integrative approach to it in regards to you know. I mean, there are there are great business schools. There's no doubt about that. There are great business schools. Uh, there are great universities that have uh, entrepreneurship programs. However, in my experience, uh, you know, you know, six plus years in the education industry, I found 
that most of the schools are either um, are either the education for entrepreneurship is insufficient or either the education that's taught uh, the entrepreneurial education that's taught in these universities are taught by people who've never really had any businesses you know they just they're just teaching from textbooks in theory uh, again you know there, there are some great business schools there are some great entrepreneurship programs but uh, as you said you know as you said uh, at the end of your uh, your commentary I would agree that the best way for an entrepreneurship to really get uh, a world-class experience is to actually be out on the ground, actually uh, making mistakes. Because through those mistakes, that's where you're going to extract those. That's where you're going to extract those lessons uh, to, to give you contrast and to be able to help you make better decisions to be a more successful entrepreneur. Would you agree with that, John? Yeah, I I, I think I do. Um, you know, anytime I uh, uh, walk into a great school. Uh, my uh, first thought is, you know, this is a great collection of people. I, I think the, uh, you know, the notion that we should uh, drop out to start companies as early as possible is a bit flawed. Um, I understand if you have a good idea, you don't want to waste time, and I understand that you know a university is not the best, uh, you know, uh, incubator necessarily for a company. Um, but you know, going to a great place and uh, you know getting that experience, and I'm not talking socially. I'm just talking about being surrounded by people that really does actually have a lot to do I think with uh, entrepreneurship and especially something as I just mentioned that I think is even more important than entrepreneurship and that's invention because the process of invention even though it's insular even though it's you know often occurs uh, you know as a, as a moment or, or or thereabouts and I've actually just had one of those in um, in, in my current venture crowd optic which is uh, why it's so personal to me this one was really a flash of light but most of them including uh, some of the other things that we've done uh, are really iterative. I mean, you have to stand back and be objective. You're, you you come up with a, a good idea, but you're refining it based on your clients and based on the partners and how the market evolves. And you know, some raise really good points. If you do an in-depth study of the uh, the patent office, uh, you know that the truly new ideas, although I think we have one in this venture, truly new ideas are rare. So the process of collaborating with people in a great school is similar to collaborating with your your clients and partners in that way and it's very difficult to replicate that if you're you know an 18 or 19 year old and you know you took a, a stipend to uh, yeah. to sit in yeah, a black I, box you know, I think I think um, uh, entrepreneurship program can be great for a student who maybe don't have a, a typical business framework and uh, they may find value in that and be able to study it's just one thing I, I really uh, you know I'm an advocate for is I, I hate to see students uh, you know get into tens of thousands of dollars in student loan debt. You know, student loan debt crisis is one of the biggest problems that we face uh, in this country. And and oftentimes, I feel like universities can make it possible as far as making their degree programs cheaper for students. Universities like University of the People, which is uh, here in the U.S., the first uh, tuition-free uh, accredited uh, university here in the U.S. And uh, it's, it's models like that to show that uh, quality education is possible and they have a great business program. You know, it is possible and it, and it can be offered to people. It's, I just hate that, you know, people, they graduate from college with a business degree or entrepreneurship degree and they want to start their own business. But at the same time, there's $60,000 in student loan debt and they have to, you know, you have to get a job to provide for themselves, and you know, really, they kind of they kind of put themselves in a hole that is hard to get out of. But uh, but but I think I think as we I think as we see more of the private sector getting involved, uh, as far as you know, offering scholarships, as far as offering apprenticeships, as far as as you said before, uh, more of these type of incubator accelerator programs. 
I'm hopeful that that will offset it and make these type of entrepreneurship programs uh, more affordable uh, for students. Uh, so, uh, uh, moving on, uh, you talk about uh, you talk about you know as you kind of get towards you know the middle of the chapter about strategically designing your company for success. Now, every entrepreneur, John, they they, they have that in mind. They they want them set them up. They want to set themselves up for success. But how do they exactly do that? Well, um, I talked about a financing strategy. Uh, I think that's key that you want to, uh, you know, finance your venture with an outcome or with the most likely outcome in mind. Um, that has everything to do with, um, you know, the way that you are uh, populating a board of directors who you're choosing to work with, uh, control interests, um, you know, how, uh, how and why you're financing your company. So I go into a little of that. Uh, but I think, it, it, you know, broadly as a financing strategy is a, is a feature of that. Broadly, to you know, uh, uh, really appreciate uh, how most of these uh, ventures end up statistically, and to reverse engineer, um, you know, most likely uh, outcomes. So, who is the uh, you know most likely cross section of potential acquirers of your business? And you know, just to start conceptualizing that from day one is a, is an interesting exercise, right? Of course, you're going to pivot, and of course, your ventures are going to change, but uh, you're doing something, you're solving a problem, or you have a uh, the raison d'etre, you, 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 you started a venture uh, with, a, with a reason to be, uh, and if you extrapolate that, um, you can uh, also figure out where it's most likely uh, that you end up, right? Because you have a likely cross-section of uh, people who are going to want to uh, leverage your venture. And that's all an acquisition is. I mean, the definition of synergy most often to an acquirer is just gained speed. Uh, sometimes you built a company that's large enough or meaningful enough in that way to really affect the acquirer, but uh, without rationalizing, you know, I talked about the the failure rate of ninety percent. That's pretty much true. The acquisition rate of, uh, of of successful outcomes, the highest propensity acquirers, as you might imagine, are also the largest. I mean, how many companies does Google or Cisco or Oracle yeah. or Microsoft do these guys buy? So they're responsible, you know, for a lot of these transactions. And you know, what have you built that's really going to affect the bottom line? Of uh, organizations that are that large uh, and still that that fast, or at least fast, you know, growing presumably, and that's why the uh, uh, you know you get the sky high multiple of a company like Salesforce that I don't think to date has made uh, ever any money, but you know it's it's growing uh, that quickly, and of course they do their share of acquisitions. So you know if you're if you're factoring that in mind, uh, how how do you end up at their doorstep? I don't think it's bulk. I don't think it's revenue. You know, I think it's your speed. I think it's you've solve the problem and they want to bring uh, that solution to their clients and allow them to get faster. So wherever that intersection is, whatever curve you're on, whatever the derivative of that curve is, you better be paying attention to it. And that's what I kind of mean by, you know, reverse engineering uh, an outcome. You can think of it as keeping your head up, but it's more, it's more scientific than that. And I think uh, going back to the old rules, there's the notion of, you know, if we just do a good job and work hard and never give up, for example, you know, we'll do well. And I think that's um, it's a bit toxic. I mean, those are good ideas, but if you know your likely cross section of acquirers are going to start buying, they start swooping into your space, or let's say your quintessential acquirer and you get cute or you're not looking, they're just going to buy your pure play competitor, and then you're going to be competing against that acquirer plus your competitor. And I don't see how you can win. It's tough enough to beat your pure play competitor, the guy your size, but if you know, Oracle buys the guy your size, you're going to beat that guy who's also competing with you and knows how to solve your problems, plus Oracle. I just want to take a moment 
to tell you about DreamHost. DreamHost.com is the award-winning web hosting service rated by PC Magazine. With their current rates and positive reviews, I couldn't think of a better company to recommend. You can get $10 off a one-year hosting plan or $25 off a two-year hosting plan when you use the promo code Callen, K-A-L-L-E-N. DreamHost.com, PC's Magazine, best web hosting service. We have John Fisher. John is a serial entrepreneur and author of Strategic Entrepreneurship, Shattering the Startup Entrepreneurial Myths. It's actually required reading in University of California, Berkeley, as well as the University of San Francisco. Uh, he's been a very successful entrepreneur, uh, you know, so companies to uh, software, uh, um, megacorps like Oracle and more. We're just, we're just talking with John about his book, strategic entrepreneurship and about the old rules about the new rules about how to set up your company for success and and kind of going on john um you know finding the right business idea is always a challenge for people i travel a lot and sometimes i tell people hey you know you know if you know if if you if you can't find something extremely unique can always find an idea that's working in uh, working in one country, and you can try to duplicate that in another country to see if that's successful. Uh, you know, and, and and sometimes a lot of people they have success in that regards. But but what would you what would you advise as some tips to finding the right business idea? You know, it's um, there's the there's the notion of forced entrepreneurship. Maybe you're uh, you know laid off from your position, and uh, this is what you want to do to. Um, uh, you know, past the time, or maybe you think it'll be lucrative, or maybe you're rationalizing that it was all for the best, or you n- you never know. Um, I I just don't believe in that. I don't believe in uh, you know searching for your significant other. Uh, I don't believe for necessarily searching for a uh, you know a company to start. Uh, when you meet, uh, in my case, um, you know the right woman, uh, or when you uh, have the right you know business idea. It is something that um, you know is naturally occurring, and I'm not saying if you're interested in uh, entrepreneurship or or or, or inventorship that you should uh, just wait for years and years and uh, uh, and uh, and pray about it. I'm, but I am thinking that it's you can't force it. You got to look around in the world. You got to solve problems. You got to be cross-functional. Some problems relate to others. Just be curious, uh, and also be excited about ideas. Uh, we have a a six-year-old daughter and uh, you know starting now she's really starting to operationalize her ideas which is a little bit frustrating she comes up with these wonderful ideas and then everyone around her is saying oh well what can you do with that or how can you build that or uh, even uh, you know the, the schools for children of that age that uh, stress uh, entrepreneurship or invention they talk about how you should uh, you know rebuild uh, ideas and uh, and defend against the fear of failure uh, and you know that's fine. I think those are pieces of it, but really, it's the notion of how special any idea is. It may not turn into a software company, uh, but just the notion of getting an idea and then back to that college or or graduate school uh, concept. You know, being able to share ideas with your other uh, smart colleagues who may be disciplined in you know all kinds of other areas. Uh, I had a, a a student of mine, you know, debating. Um, you know whether to uh, transfer from the UC system to another UC school up at the UC Davis, which was, uh, you know, just not considered as good a UC school with respect as the current UC school that he was in. But the family had to move and everything else. And you know, I mentioned that some some super world class people can be found at UC Davis who are traveling 
from all over the world to study winemaking, you know, in that region. I mean, you, you can get exposed to people at great places through, uh, you know, all kinds of different means. So as we, you know, as we collaborate um, with our with our families, our partners, our friends, uh, you know, good ideas point, can come from anywhere. And yeah, like I always say, um, I think I think now usually those are probably the the best two paths as far as kind of searching. Uh, you know, for that business idea, it's either something extremely unique, or perhaps, some, or just finding an existing idea and kind of spinning it enough, you know, kind of be being innovative and spinning it to it becomes a something completely different, or something, or something that's significantly different, uh, and to be able to build on um, from there. And you know, so if a person, okay, let's say, okay, let's say a person they have their business idea, John, and they're ready to, and they're ready, you know, they, they build their business, they're having some success, you know, they want to scale. But maybe they don't have the resources to scale, you know. But how does a person design a company to be acquired? Well, um, scaling by definition um, is you know part of the synergy that I'm talking about. Um, you know, people, old rules, new rules. We don't have to necessarily delineate uh, that way. But you know, there's such an emphasis on uh, things like growth and profitability, and of course, how can you disparage that? Those are good things. But I think much more important to that, to your uh, question, is repeatability. How to design uh, an engine that can be seamlessly plugged in to an engine many orders of magnitude yeah. larger than you are, right? We're, you're not going to dent the bottom line of you know, some of these highest propensity uh -huh. acquirers. I think you and I agree on that. Uh, you generate you know, 100 million in revenue a year, all power to you. These guys are, you know, are doing 10 billion a quarter. So, um, and getting to 100 million a year is, uh, you know, is tough enough. But if you're if you're designing for repeatability, if you're designing so that your company makes sense to replicate over and over again, whether it's an enterprise play or a consumer play, I mean, how many users do you really need as a consumer play uh, to be a strategic target? Now, some uh, acquirers won't look at you if you're a consumer play until you have 10 million users, and that's quite a threshold. But I don't see why you need more than n number of users to prove that if this is a value that it can it can be repeatable and be scaled although sometimes in consumer plays hence the problem value can only be derived from bulk and that's like unfortunately uh, you know creating a, a sitcom right I mean Hollywood is I think an even tougher business than the one that I'm in and you know creating a hit show uh, just like a hit application in software is very very difficult so I don't like to build those type of companies rather I like to build for the fortune 500 they're very tough to satisfy. They're very tough to get into. But once you do get in, and you do find something that uh, a platform that makes sense, then that repeatable unit uh, satisfying the Fortune 500, uh, so that uh, your strategic acquirer comes along, takes you out to further satisfy its own cross section of Fortune 500 that likely intersects with yours, is uh, I think a sound strategy, right. and it's not that what complicated. What would you say to this, John? I mean, I'm, I'm quite sure you're familiar with the terms of you know lifestyle entrepreneurship, social entrepreneurship, and then you are. I mean, yourself already being a serial entrepreneur, uh, very, very, very uh, well versed uh, in that sphere. But uh, what would you say for social entrepreneurs and lifestyle entrepreneurs? Do you think that you know there's good possibility for them to have their businesses acquired? Well, it's an interesting question. So my wife is a, um, uh, uh, if you want to categorize as a lifestyle entrepreneur, she runs um, and, and owns uh, women's uh, clothing boutiques in our uh, hometown. And it's a, a seaside town and it's, you know, beautiful uh, operations that she's built. And she's been doing it for more than 10 years. And 
She has hundreds of very loyal, you know, clients that come down from the, the hills and you shop with her. And, you know, our standing in the community is largely a function of the people that we've met, uh, certainly through the school system, but also through this business. So I am a big fan of, uh, you know, building something as uh, you know, part of your identity and your community uh, f forever, if, if, that's your, uh, if that's your goal. Can her business be acquired? Uh, certainly. Is she endeavoring uh, to build her business to be acquired? No. And so that's not, uh, you know, certainly for anyone, and that's certainly not to be disparaged. I, I would love to uh, actually be that type of, um, of entrepreneur, right? But I've chosen software, I've chosen to do other things, and it is uh, totally naive to think that you can build a software company for decades and not either get killed, get out innovated, or just be doing something that's a shadow of, of what you could be doing right through a partnership with a, with a great acquirer. Remember back to my reach comment and our team cohesiveness comment. In acquisition, yes, the money. Yes, the press release comes out and yes, you get uh, your, your emails and phone calls from your network and your you know, high school buddies and everything else and it's a fantastic day and I, I wouldn't trade it. But um, you know, less tangible and even more fantastic again is all these years later to know that's something you, when we log off together, are going to use within the next 24 hours. Right. Uh, we built, you know, for you. Yeah, that's yeah, that's cool. So, would you agree with this? I mean, this is sort of kind of philosophy I have. I always say that, you know, you know, um, you know, serial entrepreneurs have the high, have the kind of highest chance of getting acquired, you know, by a bigger company, and then social entrepreneurs kind of fall right under that, as coming number two, and then lifestyle entrepreneurs are probably number three. Would you say that's a fair assessment? Well, I'm not sure if I would score it necessarily, but I, I agree with a hierarchical uh, you know, definition that one is uh, category is much more likely. You know, we'd, we'd have to discuss further how to delineate between social okay. and lifestyle, okay, but, but I, yeah, I can live with that. And uh, chapter seven, you talked about collaborate with the customer. Typically, entrepreneurs, you know, they have their business. They, they do want customers, but they don't often think, you know, of collaborating with a customer. How does an entrepreneur do that? Well, regarding the Fortune 500, uh, why does a Fortune 500 company, remember how large these guys are, want to partner with a 50-person uh, startup ever uh, if they don't have to? And the answer is most often uh, they don't want to do that. But you have a 50-person startup by definition because you've solved uh, a problem. And you know, often, including what we're doing, you solve the problem that uh, you know you can create an industry or, or certainly create a um, you know a splash so the fortune 500 entity uh, oftentimes especially if you're doing something right doesn't have any choice but to work with you uh, or to work with uh, you know a a, a blossoming uh, sector that and and some competitors and so the collaboration is about um, a trust uh, dynamic and a um, you know a relationship where they are letting you uh, literally uh, or proverbially behind their firewall uh, to do some amazing things and uh, so I look at collaboration solving their problems learning as much about their business as possible being uh, flexible uh, often the way that you win fortune 500 business is not having the best solution and not disparaging what we do but it's right. by being uh, interoperable you know being extensible you know understanding their stack and their systems and figuring out how to integrate with them so that you don't cause you know even more problems than are apparent from uh, you know, just the size of your company, right? So we represent risk, but we also represent innovation. And I, you know, I've had a variety of uh, experiences that I can sum up pretty easily. 
Um, in our last venture, you know, when I walked into Wells Fargo's office, uh, our largest client in the previous venture, you can tell, uh, you know, based here in uh, uh, at least their offices here in San Francisco, it looks just like a startup. I mean, it looks like an entity that wants to do business with you. And conversely, when I was immersed in a bid at the Vanguard, uh, which was another client we were trying to win, you walk into the lobby there and there are oil paintings and there is a lot of leather and it's just, you know, that you don't belong there. And so, you you know, it's also good to understand uh, via collaboration uh, who, your, uh, who your partners are going to be. The only thing worse than losing a Fortune 500 account, given uh, how much work these, these are to acquire, I'm talking about in the, in the bidding process, in the uh, courting process, is to come in second. I mean, I'd rather lose immediately than spend uh, six months trying to win business and then being told in the end that, they, you know, another selection was made when we had no chance at all. So that kind of collaboration, um, you know, I think is necessary Great. for a and variety of reasons. And a final question, reasons. John, is, you know, we, we're, we're all aware about, you know, becoming an entrepreneur, you're going to fail. And uh, it's, not, it's not so much about, you know, how many times you fail, but how, how, how far are you willing to go to make your entrepreneurial venture a success? Um, you, you, kind, you kind of finished the book talking about calculating success. How did you calculate your success? Uh, I calculate my success, um, you know, in a uh, in a less than typical way. I first look inward at my my wife and daughter, uh, my parents who are still, uh, you know, doing well. Our extended families, my wife's parents, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean, you've got to be uh, the right type of person. I think uh, you don't step on people's necks. Uh, you don't sue people. You don't, uh, you know, get into to, to scuffs. If you, I mean, life is too short, and why? Why set up a venture uh, that's going to encroach that way? So I think I keep score by looking inward first. That's important. And um, I also keep score, uh, you know, taking into account things like patents that are not very sexy these days, but they certainly are uh, to me. And it's not necessarily the, the volume of patents one holds, but I love the things. Uh, they are my uh, defensible advantage oftentimes. I mean, think how difficult, as I've just been saying, acquisitions or Fortune 500 partnerships are. What's my defense from whole company theft, right? I mean, I'm, I'm exposing my whole operation to these guys, you know, month after month. All I'm doing is giving them the, the tools to, to build it on their own. And if I have 50 guys, Oracle can put their own 50 or 250 guys or unlimited resources on it and certainly do anything that I can do and then some uh, with a certain amount of time. But if I own the uh, the apparatus. If I own the rights to it, uh, which you know is what a, a patent is, that's really a you know a, not a very sexy concluding statement. But I really define success as um, you know extrapolating as innovation, as doing something special. And whether it be students or anyone I'm working with, I mean, don't even talk to me about investing or partnering before you filed a provisional application. One that shows you're doing something innovative and that you believe in, and two that you're you know, protect it. And the moment you disclose uh, an idea, you forfeit your protection. I was the MC of a, a well-known uh, business competition at a university out here. Uh, and there are, you know, two dozen teams and 500 people in the audience. And this, these were college teams and there was no patent process related to this. So I, I went uh, white as a sheet backstage when I realized that every time I introduced the company to the audience, I was effectively killing that company by broadcasting its information that surrenders your entire international patent protection, if, if you, you know, understand how that works. So 
I define success by family. I define success by innovation. Do something worthwhile, and uh, you know, and be good to your uh, uh, be good to your team, your employees, and your family. And, and don't build another Uber <laughs> or food delivery service, uh, you know, or photo sharing service. I mean, if if that does it for you, I don't want to discourage you. It's just uh, that's those are the bulk of the companies that get killed the fastest when uh, when it Very all well happens. Said. Uh, John, if people want to follow you or get in contact with you, how would they do that? Well, um, without disparaging, I'm not a big uh, Twitter or Facebook guy. I'm, I'm, I, I guess I'm only uh, 45 years old in, uh, in, uh, in January of next year, so I don't think I'm totally over the hill. I think still, still healthy, but I just don't uh, do a lot of that. Um, we have a, a website, CrowdOptic. That's crowd like a crowd of people and optic like I.com. Uh, we're doing some really uh, exciting, uh, you know, things in that venture uh, with smart glasses, with our own hardware, with software. We've, uh, you know, created a new form of triangulation, uh, which of course has been around since Pythagoras. So that was really interesting to do over these years. And folks, if they're interested, can check out, um, you know, with that type of context, what we're doing with devices. And it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. Back at it again. You know, we're 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 a, a far less uh, good looking. Uh, and and perhaps wealthy version yeah. of the Ocean's Eleven guys, right? And we're doing it legally. It's uh, it's uh, it, John, it's fun. It's, it's a good team. Thank you as well. I've had a good time. Thank you for listening. Just another great episode by Callan Diggs, best-selling author and career strategist at Cena Fast Company and Inc. Magazine. If you're not on an email list, you're missing out. Go to reaching the finish line. Dot com and subscribe to get all the exclusives.